You're listening to the Big Data Beard. Welcome to the Big Data Beard podcast, where we explore the exciting trends, technology evolutions, and talented people making big data a big deal. I'm Corey Minton, your host for this, our second episode of the Big Data Beard podcast. And I'm excited to uh, announce that we have a new co-host joining us today, Kyle Prinz. Kyle, thanks for joining us. Hey, Corey. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm awesome. Thanks, buddy. And today we're going to switch the hot seat up a little bit. Last episode, I had the opportunity to be in the hot seat as the guest and get interviewed by a real world-class leader in uh, Hadoop uh, knowledge and learning and development that uh, I'm excited to introduce to you, Thomas Henson. Thomas Henson, welcome to the show. Thanks, Corey. Glad to be in the hot seat in uh, summer. It's awesome. Yeah, literal hot seat. We are coming to you from a recording live. I shouldn't say recording live. Are we recording live? We're lively recording. We're a lively recording bunch. I'm alive. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. Currently situated in Brentwood, Tennessee, at uh, one of Dell EMC's partners, Data Blue, who was kind enough to allow us to take over the Johnny Cash conference room. All right, let's jump into some news. I found a couple articles that I thought were super appropriate for our friend Thomas to help us dig through. Uh, the first one was there was a great little clickbait article uh, in InfoWorld called the top seven big data tools to ditch. And it's basically the premise of the article was there's a bunch of ecosystem tools within the Hadoop community that I think it's time to go ahead and, and not be offended that they're past their prime, and we start to move on. So a couple of them, Thomas, that I thought, thought not surprising, MapReduce. MapReduce, it's time to ditch it in 2017. Do you agree or disagree? Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of tools. The list should probably be larger than seven, right? And the crazy <laughs> thing is, is that list last year or two years ago were the must-have must, must have list for, you know, using. So we had to have MapReduce, right, to do, do some of the stuff, you know, five, six years ago, and it was like a hot topic. So I think just like with any technology, we're starting to see trends, right? So yeah. there's there's new toys, new new tools that developers can come in to you know process data and you know store data. But I mean, what are we going to be using next year? And if I knew that, then I would just gamble and you know be able to invest in the hot stocks that are coming. So yes, it, it's time for us to kind of move on with um, with MapReduce, and we're still seeing you know a shift in that aspect. Uh, you know, one of the big things that I saw at the uh, DataWorks Summit was they were talking about Pig and all the things around Pig and how at Yahoo they were shifting from traditional MapReduce Pig jobs all the way to Tez. And so we're starting to see that shift. And I think Yahoo's probably still worldwide one of the biggest users of Pig yep. and the so Pig platform. So Pig was number three on the list. Number two, interestingly, was Storm. And like a lot of these projects in the open source, one of the things you have to be real mindful of is Maybe the reason to ditch it isn't because the tool's not good. Maybe it's because the contributors and the committers in the Apache ecosystem have moved on to other things. And the rumor is that the, a couple of the top contributors at Storm actually got snapped up by a few other startups in the, in the valley that have taken them away from their jobs uh, focused on Storm. So Storm is number two on the list. Number four, close to the uh, heart topic for you, Thomas, Java. Java, it's time to give up Java. Agree or disagree? Disagree. Uh, we've been talking about, I mean, I think when I was in college, uh, my professor, one of my favorite professors uh, in our Java class was talking about, you know, that there's normally a 10 year life cycle on programming language, languages. And he was saying that, you know, it was almost time for Java to start 
to, to go away, but it had been in production for 15, 20 years at that point. So, I mean, I still, there's still demand out there for ADA coders and for other pieces. So if you're talking about the big data community to kind of shift away from it, I'd have to wonder what they kind of mean by that, you know, and part of that comes from, are we talking about, do you have to be able to program in Java to use big data tools? Well, I mean, that's where PIG comes in and Hive and all these other tools that work on top to, you know, abstract away the Java. But if you look at the core, you know, most of all the core products that, you know, are supporting the Hadoop ecosystem, they're still all written in Java. So it's, you know, if you're going to be involved in writing a new product, um, I guess, you know, go maybe is where we're trying to go. I think the thing is you're uh, you're about to get bit by the snake, otherwise known as the Python. Python <laughs> seems to be the really in vogue one. So so Java not dead. These folks to clearly disagree with you, Thomas. That's okay. Tez is another project that they said it's time to di- to ditch, which is interesting. Uh, the authors here call it the uh, uh, a pet project for the folks at HortonWorks. Do you think Tez is out the door, or should we keep it around for a little longer? Uh, I think it's going to depend on your use case too. I mean, so if you're asking, if you're asking Yahoo, who just moved all their um, pig jobs to Tez, you know, if they want to, you know, write that ship, you know, in the next six months, I, I, my assumption is going to be no. And anybody else that has these projects and are using these projects in production right now, they might be looking to roadmap and starting. You know, you might see some wane in adoption for newer people, but I mean, these things are still running in production. Like I said, I've got friends that I know that still code in Ada. <laughs> well, maybe the clickbait's working. The final two on our list, uh, the top seven tools that should be ditched in 2017, as per our friends at InfoWorld, Uzi, the long-hated workflow scheduler, they say needs to go. And I don't think there's a lot of people that argue with that. And then the last one is Flume. So with the uh, the proliferation of Kafka and stream sets, the argument is that it's uh, it's time to get this 2015 release tool out of our tool bag. Agree or disagree? I would agree. I mean, if you're, if you're stepping into a new project, you're probably going to be, you know, using Kafka or, you know, Pravega or something to, you know, stream in that data. And then also there's new tools that are coming out too. So, I mean, you look at the data workflow and some of those that are kind of automating this data ingestion, which is, you know, for a long time it's been, you know, I mean, we have so many tools on how we can ingest data into HDFS or the Hadoop ecosystem. And so you're just starting to see, you know, that there are more, I won't say user friendly, but they're a little more intuitive, right? They don't, you know, they don't take as much time, you know, to learn and be able to shuffle the data around. And some of these, some of these new products come with like pretty pictures that let you drag and drop, which we all love. Well, let's be honest. Some of these projects have some of the coolest stickers. Personally, huge fan of the Flink Squirrel, maybe one of the better looking, uh, better looking stickers out there, mostly because squirrels are hilarious. Anyways, um, Kyle, I wanted to, to shift gears over to you, buddy. I just read an article that uh, that a number of big venture capital companies, including Dell Technology Capital, uh, Verizon Ventures, and others, have just invested $33 billion of Series B money into a startup called Iguazio. Have you heard of Iguazio before? I have not. So Iguazio, investable, though. <laughs> very investable, apparently. So they are uh, out of the... What has basically become a hotbed of technology startups is Israel. So it's an Israeli startup company. Uh, and their, uh, their goal is to help, uh, move analytics to the edge, but also simplify the deployment. So they're competing with, uh, Amazon in many cases. So it, edge analytics, what's your favorite sort of tool? What do you, what do you see happening in ed, edge analytics today that, that we ought to be paying attention to? I think uh, the smart car industry, so focused around self-driving cars, would be a huge aspect of that. I mean, you look at your car now, and it's basically a rolling data center with every aspect of it being connected. 
So what if we could take our car, have it roll its own edge analytics, and then learn your driving style within your vehicle without having to worry about a broadband internet connection from your vehicle? We've just freed up a lot of the freeway traffic from the greater internet while still being able to compute your own analytics from within your own rolling data center. For me, that would be a huge part of it, that and I hate driving. So. <laughs> yeah, well, you're going to need a few things to happen. 5G for network bandwidth between those edge things, that's going to be huge. Uh, really excited to see what's happening there. Thomas, the, the self-driving cars, Kyle brought up, is is one of the hottest topics in the big enterprises, right? The automotive manufacturers, but also the the, the automotive suppliers uh, getting really heavily focused like Bosch. Are you seeing uh, self-driving car initiatives in your conversations in the field or at conferences or anything interesting you're seeing there you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, it's anybody that's involved in smart driving cars or, I mean, I guess the automobile industry in general. So, I mean, you go anywhere from rear view cameras to the rear view mirrors. I mean, everybody has a piece and all that has to integrate too. I mean, you look at the technology that's going to go into a smart car. It's not just the technology that's going into it, you know, whether it be from Ford or Tesla, it's going to be the whole ecosystem that they have. And so they all have to gear up. They all have to become software engineers and and learn how to integrate these things together and also how to make their products better. And so, you know, you're starting, you're starting to see a whole market go. And I mean, you know, look at the predictions and they're talking in the billions. I mean, look at, I mean, all the predictions around the smart cars and then even the drones and some of the other pieces, these are all huge ecosystems where everybody that creates a portion and is in that supply chain has to have a data analytic strategy, has to have some kind of sensor strategy, right? So you can feed information in and none of it's standardized yet, which is awesome, right? So I'll be employed for a very long time. Like all of us will. (laughs) (laughs) You're saying we picked the right industry. That's good. Actually, it brings up, it's funny, you you mentioned Tesla when we say automotives and and that has become a a de facto sort of top tier automotive brand. Um, But something we were talking about at dinner the other night was the fact that Tesla has has started to announce and, and, and share that they're shifting some of their focus really, really into the industrial space, right? Where they're starting to talk about these electric, uh, autonomous, uh, 18 wheelers, right? Big logistics trucks. To me, that feels like the, the perfect place to have these kinds of technologies adopted because that's a, that's a challenge, right? Consumer facing goods or consumer facing, you know, uses of this technology can be in, can be challenging, right? There's a lot of legal concerns and not that there's less in industrial use cases, but I feel like they're more well-defined and that the return on investment for the companies developing those is probably a bit easier. Do you think it's interesting that, that Tesla's going more industrial and that we're seeing big changes in uh, places like GE on the industrial yeah. side? I think it's a huge springboard for Tesla because now they're able to get into the industrial side, which means a little bit more money for them, which then they can invest in the uh, consumer side. So not necessarily a more popular decision, quote-unquote, from a consumer end, but definitely a smarter decision for them from a finance perspective and Excellent. also innovation. Excellent. I think trying to predict what uh, Elon Musk is going to do next or uh, Jeff Bezos. I mean, it's I, I mean, <laughs> if I could do that once again, you know, I'd be able to be able to gamble. But it's it's surprising how fast this stuff is going to us. But if you look at it, I mean, it's just like, you know, I'm, I'm a big, huge football fan. And so we always talk about NFL as a copycat league. Same thing. Business is a sport. It's a copycat league, right? You know, yep. these innovations, these designs that are going on the smart cars. I mean, we have smart cars, but, you know, we had smartphones before that. And, you know, we have smart cities, smart agriculture, smart homes. I mean, <laughs> all this stuff is really driving it. So, you know, if you have the expertise 
why not capture, you know, why not go out there and capture that market? And that's, I mean, that's what we're seeing Tesla do. And, you know, as consumers, you know, obviously we're all biased here because we, you know, big data beard podcast, we, we love data analytics. So maybe a little bit of bias to the data analytics part, but it's also making great products for us too. And that's yeah. really cool. So it's, you know, given us an opportunity to have better products as a consumer, maybe save us a little money, maybe find ways to, you know, products that, you know, had slower life cycles, you know, have a reemergence, you know, look at smoke detectors. I mean, how much, you know, if you had gotten into the smoke detector industry in the last, you know, 10 years, I mean, it was pretty much a, you know, market where it's like commoditized, right? So you pay $20 for a smoke detector. You know, if somebody has one for $40, probably not going to pay for it. But now, you know, look at what Nest has done with their smoke detectors. And now I've gone through my house and now instead of paying for, you know, a $30 analog smoke detector, I'm paying $130. I mean, that's a brand new product and that's a new life cycle for that whole industry. So, And you're getting a whole new peace of mind with that as well. You know, or I can quiet it at 3 a.m. when the battery goes dead. <laughs> well, that's a lot easier as a new father, right? <laughs> there's the value add. Yes, yes. And as a traveler, too, I think anybody that travels, go out and look at these because, I, you know, I've gotten texts at 3 in the morning while I'm on the road and my wife, who I love, she's amazing, but I'm a little bit taller than her and she can't reach the smoke detectors or bring, bring the 80-pound ladder that we have out. And she doesn't want to do it at 8 at, you know, at three in the morning. And so that'll save you in those calls and those texts and, you know, give you that peace of mind too. Because man, when you come back home, the last thing you want to do is, you know, get in trouble for the smoke detector going off, even though maybe you did change the battery. You, you can't really remember. <laughs> you, you heard it here first folks. Uh, marriages are saved by smart home devices. And I know Kyle's a huge smart home geek. We will certainly get into that at some point, but I want to transition here, Thomas. I want to, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, some of the things that you're doing, uh, not only in your, in your day job, uh, but also in your uh, your your pretty sizable amount of extracurricular content development and other activities. So, Thomas, why don't you just uh, give us a little bit of a uh, sense of uh, what you're doing today from a day job perspective? Love to hear what 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 consumes your eight to five uh, right now. Yeah, so I'm part of uh, Dell EMC's unstructured data team, and so what we do is we look at all unstructured data, which good news and good job security for me covers over eighty five. 80% of the data worldwide. So, I mean, you think of all these, you know, smart things that we were talking about, those are all generating data. And so what we get to do is we get to go out and, you know, help, help with customers and, you know, meet with developers and systems administrators that are all trying to wrangle and be able to pull this data in and have it in a place where, you know, at some point they can do some analytics. But I'm also um, part of a team uh, just with my background in data analytics that's called the Hadoop Black Belt Team. And what we get to do is we get to go out and really talk about, you know, what we're doing in the eco, you know, the Hadoop ecosystem, but also, you know, IoT and some of these other more emerging uh, markets. And so we get to go and talk with, you know, customers that are just trying to figure out, hey, you know, what can we, you know, if we already hold on to this data, we already have to handle this data, can we make a better product? Uh, can we use the data more? Is there something we can do other than just have to store the data for compliance? What if we made another product out of it? What if we made the next smoke detector? And so those are some of the things I get to do. And so that gives me a great advantage to be able just to know what's going on in the industry, see what the trends are, and really see what the pain points are too. Because, I mean, I've never met anybody, which makes me feel good because when I first started in big data, it was very hard to set up a new cluster. So I've never met anybody else that said, you know what? It's pretty easy to set up that Hadoop cluster and start running this data analytics stuff, right? You know, petabytes, terabytes, we're ready. No, no issues at all. So, like I said, job security for a long time for all of us because this stuff's pretty, pretty, pretty difficult. So, yeah, absolutely. So, Iceland's been in the, the the Hadoop space and in the big data space for for a number of years, but but you've been with uh, with Dell EMC's Iceland team for how long now? For two years. For two and years. 
And prior to that, you uh, the reason I think one of the with the reasons why you were such an attractive guy to join our team uh, at Dell MC was was your really deep background in Hadoop, and you weren't an infrastructure guy, right? A lot of us are, you know, heritage sort of you know enterprise apps or enterprise infrastructure. But you came to Dell MC with a very different background. Tell us a little bit about what you were doing before you uh, joined the team there at Isilon. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny when I was first talking with uh, uh, Dell MC to kind of come over. You know, it was like, hey, you know, I really don't have an infrastructure background. Why are you trying to talk to a software developer? And so, you know, still in some of our meetings and our team team gatherings, you know, they ask a lot of questions. And, you know, sometimes it'll be like, well, you know, who, you know, who here was, you know, a systems administrator before they came in? And you see everybody's hand go up except for me. And I'm like, listen, I, I did other things. <laughs> so, no, my background was uh, as a software engineer. And so um, I actually started off on the front end of development. So I was a front end developer, you know, did some uh SQL background uh, for, you know, web apps and some other pieces, but really spent a lot of time as a software engineer and got involved with a project. Uh, you know, I was a I was a defense contractor. I got involved with a project where we were trying to analyze a lot of data and we didn't really know what to do. And so they sent me off to a couple of conferences and watched a couple of YouTube videos and started looking into this um Hadoop uh, ecosystem. And then we just kind of started going from there. So we didn't know what we were doing and we just started developing. And, you know, I've, as time went on and I started really digging into it, it I, I really, I don't know, I really just kind of fell in love with the technology and the ability to, you know, one, handle this much data and being able to visualize results, but just being able to help solve problems that we weren't able to do before. And so, you know, and I really, really started liking the ecosystem too, because it was kind of young. It was something I could be a part of. I think it was at Hadoop Summit, uh, Alan Gates or somebody from the Hortonworks uh, community was on stage and it was like the keynote, but they were saying that this, you know, being involved in the Hadoop community is like being involved in the relational database industry from the late 70s or maybe early 80s. So, I mean, for me and my career and want, wanting to be a part of something, wanting to be a part of an ecosystem that was kind of early and I can kind of grow into it, I saw it as a huge opportunity, really liked the technology and just kind of ran with it from there. Nice. So you went from .NET developer to big data guru. And we've checked out your site at thomasensen.com, posted great stuff out there, great learning opportunities. But one of the things I noticed uh, about you when we first started to get to know each other, and then I've watched you over the last couple of years, is you're a pretty prolific uh, creator of Pluralsight courses. So I noticed that you've published a bunch of interesting courses where you're getting into really that developer-friendly uh, sort of training in the Hadoop space. Tell us a little bit about how you got connected with uh, Pluralsight because it's obviously a tool and a, and a site that most of us are aware of and know and probably have used, you know, at some time. Tell us how you got involved in Pluralsight and why you continue to to push uh, to develop new content there. Yeah. So um, the way I got involved with Pluralsight, so as a developer, I mean, I had a subscription, right? And so I was a, I was a student of it always needing to learn new, new pieces or figure out how to do different things, you know, whether it be in .NET, whether it be, you know, in big data, that's kind of how I started learning when the Hadoop uh, community is, you know, looking at some of the videos on Hive and some of the other pieces. And so I think, you know, as a, I don't, you know, I don't care if you're a developer, systems administrator, a creative type, I think, you know, anything that's, you know, core to your job is learning. Like you need to learn and you need to continually learn. And, um, you know, for developers at the time, uh, Pluralsight was really big in the .NET, you know, um, and that's why I had known that. And having that subscription and being a .NET developer, I kind of was was already using the Pluralsight for the .NET stuff. And so when we switched over to a couple of Hadoop projects, uh, they started, you know, opening up their offering. And, you know, they had a lot more courses and they were bringing in more stuff, you know, whether it was iPhone, Android development, but just really expanding that out. And, I mean, I will say that it, it's 
probably, no, it is the most important thing probably in my career was that, you know, not just Pluralsight, but just learning in general. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really passionate about that because I think, you know, as software engineers, systems administrators, anybody, you know, if you, if you put time and, you know, into consistently trying to learn more about your craft, you're going to be amazing, right? You, you, you can become a subject matter expert. You can, you know, do the things that you want to do and excel in your career. And I, I mean, Pluralsight for me gave me that opportunity to learn. And then, so on the same token, you know, as a student and, a, you know, consumer of Pluralsight, I started requesting more videos. I was like, hey, man, I'd love to have a pig video. Um, you know, we're really using pig a lot. Um, apparently back then we hadn't read the seven tools that were going away, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> pig was still a, a pretty big tool. And we, we didn't have content on that at Pluralsight. And so one of the editors kind of reached out to me and said, Hey, why don't you make a course? And I was like, what? Why would I make a course? Uh, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not an expert on pig. And they're like, well, you're using it in your job, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, write a ton of pig jobs. I mean, that was one of the first things that I learned, learned to do. He's like, well, just, you know, write a test course out and, uh, we'll, we'll walk through it. And I was like, okay. So I have to talk into a microphone and hear myself. And so walk, walk through and uh, made a, t- you know, made a sample test course and then went on to my first course was actually a pig Latin course. And so it worked out, you know, worked out really well because now I can talk into a microphone. As you can see, here I am on the Big Data Beard podcast. But um, it it was just, I mean, it was amazing because the amount that I actually learn now. So not only not only do I still watch videos, do I still try to learn and expand my knowledge, but now creating that content and being able to really dive in and teach others. I mean, it really helps me just one learn more, and then two be able to teach and help others too. And so it's really give me, you know, it's really gave me a niche in the community to be able to give back. And, you know, that's just something, you know, for me to be passionate, so passionate about learning and everything. It's just awesome for me to be able to contribute as well. That's awesome, man. Yeah. It actually, uh, your, your talk there, it abides a, a, a principle that my dad shared with me when I was going off to college and he was trying to give me some of that, you know, fatherly advice on, on what success looked like. And one of the things he told me was, he said, if you want to be successful and he kind of knew I was going to be in a more technical role. Right. And he said, uh, one, become an expert in something, right? So expertise, which you've clearly done, but make sure that expertise is in something relevant, right? Relevant to your employer, relevant to the market, right? It's something that being an expert in underwater basket weaving, probably not the best thing to be an expert in, but being an expert in a technology field that is burgeoning, that's growing, that clearly the adoption rate is significantly increasing. That's, that's good. He said, but then build a brand or build a reputation for being known as that expert in that relevant thing. And I think you've lived that out, man. You're, you're, you're a Hadoop guru. You're for publishing courses. You have a brand as that. So I'm super excited to welcome you to the, uh, to the Big Data Beard team and certainly glad to have you on the podcast. Now, another thing I was doing a little, uh, trolling on your, uh, your sites. I noticed that you've got a YouTube channel where you're offering an interactive opportunity for, uh, developers and others that are in this big data ecosystem to ask big data questions or big data, big question series. Tell us a little bit about how that started and, and what you're trying to tackle there. Yeah, it's, it's a new series that I've kind of just started, you know, taking questions that I get all the time. And that's one of the things is like, I really want to focus on the data engineer. And so for a long time, we've, you know, how do you define what, what we do? So like, you know, you walk, you, you walk in and tell somebody that you do big data, even, even now with, with a lot of customers and, you know, Hadoop's been around for over 10 years, but you tell people that, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm in the big data community, you know, I'm, 
you know, doing some Hadoop, do, you know, helping out with Spark, some of these other pieces. And people always think that like I'm a wizard, data analytics, you know, somebody that can solve all their problems. And they, they always think that I'm, I'm the one who's the data scientist, right? And what is it? Is it, was it last year or two years ago that data scientists has been the sexy job for, for two years? Well, that's not really what, what I do, right? You know, I've worked with data scientists, but you know, for, for big data developers, we've, we've really come around becoming a, the data engineer. And so we're the ones that, you know, help stand up the cluster. We're the ones that, you know, stand up the hive environment or H base or, you know, write, you know, write the map reduce jobs. If we're still using map reduce or spark jobs, they're going to be able to pull these insights that give the data scientists the tools to be able to, you know, create those models. And so I, I really wanted a platform in a way that I could, you know, have a lot of these questions asked. That, you know, no matter, no matter what the question is, just ask it so that other people can, you know, get involved and become, you know, data engineers and get more out of the career too. And so, I mean, we were fighting a skills gap, right? So, I mean, you talk about finding a skills gap, you know, from cybersecurity, just in general in IT, there's a skills gap. And so anything I can do to encourage more people to get involved and, you know, become a big data developer, become a data engineer, just to get involved in the community because it's, it's still growing. It's, it's a huge opportunity. There's, I don't know. I feel like in our lifetime, you know, for me, you know, I, I kind of went all in and I fell, fell in love with it. And I want others to have that passion. And so it's a platform that, you know, people people submit questions to me, whether it's on Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, you know, on my website, any any way that they can get questions to me and I'll answer them. And it's been it's been pretty fun. It's been, you know, amazing to get in front of a camera and watch yourself. So uh, <laughs> I would encourage anybody that um, doesn't like doing that to get out, you know, get uncomfortable and do it. Uh, it'll it'll teach you to be a little more humble, um, which my wife says I always need. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's just been a fun series to get in front of the That's camera awesome. and, you know, I hope I, you know, hope I can continue to, you know, have the consistency to, you know, just keep producing that content and kind of help the community. That's awesome. Yeah. It's actually, it's funny. The, uh, <laughs> the Kyle knows as well. I'm a huge fan of people having to see themselves on camera because it's, it <laughs> it's, it's one of the best terrifying. It's one of the best learning experiences, right? Makes you cringe. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's funny because the, the, so you back up and, and, and what the, our listeners don't know is that the reason why we started this, this podcast was really to, to bridge the gap between, as you said, the, the data scientists, those are the folks that we, we're not those folks, right? We're, we're not the folks who are going to solve the world's problems that way, but we are the folks that enable data scientists and business users to adopt these technologies. And, and our goal is to help provide useful content where, uh, it's connecting the the systems administrator, the infrastructure and data center folks to those data engineers and, and help weave together the stories of what it means to be in that space. And so that's our focus. And it's great to hear that. I, I think the diversity of this crew, because I'm a, my background's more in the enterprise app space prior to being at Dell EMC was more on the traditional sort of business ERP, CRM, PLM kind of side. Uh, and, and clearly, Thomas, you are software development, right? Developer friendly, data engineer, and Kyle, right? Totally an infrastructure guy from the beginning, right? With some Absolutely. great operations experience. Indoctrinated into EMC at a very young age. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So I think it's I think it's fun to see the the diversity uh, within our teams. So I did want to do um, do one quick thing. So you you have a, a site. It's uh, where where can we find you online and follow these uh, this great content development that you're doing for us. So I'm on the Big Data Beard podcast, so uh, follow me there. We're starting to release some episodes, and happy to be be on the show and be part of that team. New and I, I had a beard before I joined, so and you know found out that it's not a requirement, but it is highly encouraged. So uh, I get to keep the beard. But no, I have a uh, I'm on Twitter and uh, I have a website. You know, thomasinson.com. You can find me there. You can find me. You know, pretty much anywhere. You know, social media wise. You know, from LinkedIn. Uh, just 
reach out and connect, ask any questions that you have and feel free to uh, find me in any conferences or anything like that. And so I'll, I keep a regular posting of that. And I think that's something that we'll have, you know, regularly on the podcast too, for people to be able to connect with us. Awesome. Now I want to get to one of our favorite parts of the, uh, the show. This is the rapid fire questions section. And so let's start, Thomas, you're in the hot seat. I'm going to hit you with a handful of questions and I want you to respond with candid, like what, just the first thing that pops in your head. Don't polish it or script it. Think about it real fast and give us the answer. Okay. Are you ready? So do these have to be clean or is it explicit lyrics or, uh, uh, we're we're nice, we're good Southern gentlemen. So let's keep it classy, but you know what? It's okay. We have editing that's possible. So let's get with it. Okay. What year will Skynet go online? Oh, it's probably my favorite question there. Um, I'd say in the next 15 to 20 years. And I base that decision on the fact that one, we look at judgment day, it was supposed to be in 1997. So we have survived. I was able to graduate high school. So I was happy about that. But I think we're still not at a point where cars aren't driving themselves into lakes, where GPS is not getting us where we want. So I think there's a little bit of development there. And from a software engineering perspective, I don't, we're not even at the point where the machines can code themselves just yet. So they still need us, you know, to, to, to write their applications and, you know, write their programs. But I think we're probably, you know, 15 to 20 years off. So, you know, that's good retirement age for me. So as a, as a software engineer, I have, you know, a little bit of job security, knowing that the machines aren't going to take over and write themselves just yet. <laughs> but it, I, I think it will happen. And I will fight on the side for the humans. That's good. That's good to know which side you're going to be on. All right. If you bought me a book, what would it be? The War of Art, uh, Stephen Pressfield. It's 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 a non tech book, but it's it's amazing, and it's just about it's about being creative and being productive, and kind of that that struggle. So we joke around, you know, joke around a little bit about you know seeing yourself on camera or listening to yourself on a podcast or you know a Pluralsight course or YouTube, whatever you're doing. But it's it's about just motivation a little bit. So it's a little bit of self help and a little bit of just get yourself up and you know know that. You know, everybody's kind of struggling with it. And it's, I would, you know, I would buy that book for, for anybody. It's, you know, I'll try to read it once a year. It's, it's an amazing read. All right. What genre of music are you rocking the most right now? Man, so I've went back to uh, rap in our gym that I go to. Uh, they've, you know, they've got, uh, we've just been on a rap tear here lately. And it's, it's translated over into when I'm writing and, you know, when I'm, when I'm not on conference calls or recording and stuff like that. And so, like I'm, I'm kind of going back to some of the rap that I listened to in high school and, and some of the other pieces. So it's actually, it's actually been a, a trip down memory lane. <laughs> Nostalgia rap, a big fan. Yeah. All right. What is your favorite piece of utterly useless technology? My favorite piece? Oh man. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes I feel like it's my, my, my iPad. I mean, and I, and I, I love my iPad, but. I don't know what's going on. I can never get the Wi-Fi working on it. I mean, sometimes I'll just be reading an article and it goes away or watching a YouTube video and it kind of goes and, and I've updated it and I've you know done a lot of different things and it just hasn't, hasn't worked. And it, and it maybe it's just my one iPad, but it's definitely not the versions. Like I'm keeping up with my versions and everything and it doesn't happen on my phone. So, you know, and I love my iPad mini cause you know, I've got these big, huge hands and I can actually hold it in one hand, but it's you know big enough for me to watch uh, different things on. So, you know what he needs, Kyle? What's that? He needs the iPad pro. Yeah. <laughs> get on our level, bro. Join the big leagues. Isn't that the huge one? Yeah. Oh, it, and well, it's you wonderful. Can get, you can get the smaller, not the mini. They don't have that one, but the, uh, the big one is wonderful. It is stunningly good. All right. What is your biggest money pit right now? Oh, uh, man. So 
probably the garage slash gym slash office that I'm building. So my wife, my wife and I are expecting our second kid, and my office is actually the baby's room. Uh, <laughs> just last week, she put some onesies in there. And um, so that's I've got marching orders to get out. It's a gentle <laughs> reminder to leave. Yes, yes. Right next to my all my camera stuff. And so I've gone back and forth. We're trying to design how we want to, you know, how we want to set something up. So I kind of want an awesome studio, but you know, I don't have a ton of money, right? You know, <laughs> there's money's finite. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know, just trying to draw that line with where it's like, you know, I want this, you know, garage palace. And, you know, have a gym and then have this awesome studio. But, you know, also my wife's like, you, you know, you can't keep going back and forth and deciding you need, you know, there, we only have so many months before it has to be done. So, <laughs> and it is a garage. So eventually I'm thinking a car has to be parked there potentially, or is it just really, it's purely a gym and an office? Yeah. So I think one side will be the gym. One side I can, you know, I got a rod and lawnmower that, you know, is, it's not as big as a car, but <laughs> yeah. So, so reminder folks, the, Thomas is, uh, is an, a fellow Alabamian, as myself, lives in the, uh, the Shoals area uh, of Alabama, which is uh, lovely, but also you can grow just about anything and a lot of grass. Yes. <laughs> yes. Excellent. So um, are you going anywhere interesting here in the next few weeks? Yeah. So uh, the first ever Pluralsight Summit is coming up in September. And so I'll be there. We'll, we'll have... Uh, an author piece to it too. So in, in, in previous years, they've had some author summits, never been able to go. We had like a virtual one last year. So I'm pretty excited to fellowship and hang out and hear some of the speakers from some of the other authors, but we're also having one. We're open to the uh, Pluralsight community. So, you know, people that watch videos have a chance to come and sit through some sessions and watch. And we've got, I mean, I think we've got a really good uh, key speaker. I think Steve Young is uh, speaking at it too. So it's, it's going to be a fun time. I'm pretty excited. It's the first one ever. So it'll be, It'd be a lot of things to do and a lot of new experiences. So I'm, I'm excited to uh, go and uh, see Salt Lake City. I've never even been to Utah. So nice. I'm hopeful that Steve Young will take the time to record a plural site course on how to throw a perfect spiral like Steve Young. Because oh. I'm sure my I'd love for my son to be able to take that someday. I'd watch it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now a couple more. What show are you binging on right now? Oh, going through the office again. That's my fault. Like last <laughs> night in the hotel, I fell asleep with my laptop watching the office and I've been through, I mean, if Michael, if Michael Scott ever opens a business school, I will sign up. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a little upset that I got my MBA and I love my alma mater, but I would have gone to the Michael J. Scott <laughs> school right. of business. That's oh, wonderful. so good. All right. Last question. Who is your beard idol? Oh man, my beard idol. I guess if I went back and thought, you know, from high school when I had my first beard, I had I shaved my mustache, so I guess mine would be Abraham Lincoln. Didn't he have the shaved oh, mustache? The just that. <laughs> yeah, that's actually it's, uh, it's common among uh, beard lovers who are also soup lovers. <laughs> so you don't get the uh, get the soup in the upper lip. That's uh, that's awesome. Well, Thomas, I want to say thanks again for being on. Uh, it was great to chat with you, and I really look forward to uh, to having you as a host on this Big Data Beard podcast uh, going forward. It's going to be super fun to have your perspective. Kyle, thanks for joining us. I encourage the listeners to go out and engage with us socially. Go to BigDataBeard.com, check out the blog. Make sure you're following the podcast. Go ahead and subscribe to our site so you don't miss one of these episodes. And if you have feedback, we would absolutely love to hear it. We'd love to hear what you think is interesting in this kind of unique space in the, between the data center and the data engineers and the people and the technologies that are really shaping that area of, to, of, of, of business and technology. So if you have feedback, please share it, and we'll do our best to get to those uh, on the show. 
Next, we're going to have a couple more sessions with our other hosts. So you get a flavor of who we are. And then we're going to start kicking off some of these episodes that will include some great guests from the industry. Thanks again. I'm Corey Minton from BigDataBeard.com, and we'll see you on the next show.